we don't want to rush into production of vaccine that's not as effective as possible. Um, this is a big point. 66%, six, one third of Americans say they won't use a Corona vaccine. One third, according to a CNN poll. We don't get to herd immunity until 70% of the population is seropositive. Point three, seropositivity doesn't confer immunity, meaning having the vac- having been exposed to the disease doesn't make you immune probably for more than a year and a half. We don't know the science on that yet, but that's possible. How you doing? Good to see you. Welcome back. Um, good. I'm psyched. Good fourth of We're July. actually back. excited to get back in the car. Did you, uh, what'd you do for the fourth? We, we were in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, and we um, sat in a balcony and watched illegal fireworks all around the lake, which is a different, other than one place, you know, where everyone watches the town fireworks, everyone in town decided to have their own fireworks. So it was kind of fun, but it didn't end till about one in the morning. Wow. Wow. How about you? Um, I was home and I, I, I was asleep pretty early. Um, my children went out um, and, uh, you know, normally, well, it was interesting because I, I can see across the, um, the Long Island Sound here and, and you can see a lot of fireworks from towns up and down. And I wasn't sure what would happen this year. Um, I was at my workout yesterday and a guy had come in. He's a you know, very friendly guy. He wanted to join the class. And he said, uh, I said, well, where do you live? And he said, I live in Bayside, Queens. I said, well, how, why'd you come here? He goes, because we can't work out in New York, wow. in the gyms. So I wasn't sure because, you know, it, where we live, you know, we live right near the border, not far from New Jersey, right next to New York. Um, we're in Connecticut. Uh, Connecticut gyms are open. I still do it outside. He came up for that. It turns out Long Island, I guess you could have all the firework displays and everything. Um, and uh, so I ended up just watching that. Um, but I mentioned some of that stuff because I don't know exactly how this works. Okay. And I'm going to, I'm going to give you a little bit of a preamble here, which is that I've been like reading far afield on this topic the last few days, which is to say I've been reading um anti-vax things and i've listened a little bit to bobby kennedy and others i've also read some interesting things about um vaccines i want to talk to you about that quickly um and by the way i the reason i do this for me is that i know i don't know right so what do i do i tend to follow the crowd which is what we all do to a certain extent, whether we know it or not. There's no way I know enough about vaccines to understand it for myself. More often than not, I take what, what I hear from you, RP. And by and large, for example, I hear that Sweden has been a failure. But there's others who would say the opposite, that Sweden has actually been a success, which in today's world, I know this stuff gets really complicated because we hear it from all sides. This is all in, in the context of what I was describing as why I can and can't see fireworks because the, the rules are different from state to state and we live right on a border. So it's interesting that different states are in different places. But our state, RP, both RP and I live in Connecticut. And yesterday, or maybe it was today, yeah, it must have been yesterday, we had zero deaths in the state of Connecticut. Yeah. And we were a hotspot. Um, new cases was, is really low. Now, here's a trick, though, to, to this, which is my observation of the general behaviors of the people who live around where we live 
is that it's relatively, it's mixed. Let's put it that way. That way. And very often I see what I would observe as seemingly irresponsible behavior vis-a-vis -vis COVID, and we are actually in good shape. Is that because we got our number way down? Like, what is it? What is it that I'm seeing that that creates all that? And we, we don't have to get into the conversation about some of the anti-vax stuff that I read if you don't want to. But I would like to talk about some new news on vaccinations, which I sent you an email last night, and I can share some of that uh, when we want to talk about it. Can I respond to some of the stuff you just said? Yeah. So first on Sweden, um, if you want to find someone and completely reveal them for just being wrong, for whatever reason they're wrong, then find someone who thinks the Sweden experiment worked because it was a total failure and it cost thousands of lives that needn't be caught, needn't be dead. Um, and that's inarguable. You could argue that they're faster towards herd immunity, but that's wrong. So even Sweden acknowledges they made a mistake. It's too bad. They gambled with lives. Um, they at least did it thoughtfully. They at least understood that here's what the virus is. It's real. It's not a hoax. We have to address it. They just addressed it incorrectly. For those of you who haven't followed, we've, we've had a couple shows on Sweden. They decided, look, we trust the people enough just to socially distance and we're going to, and, and we don't want to hurt our economy. So we're going to keep everything open economically and help people, hope people wash their hands and socially distance. And, and we'll try to protect the elderly. They didn't protect the elderly. They have had massive deaths amongst their elderly population. Um, and their economy has dropped just as much as their neighboring equivalent economies like Denmark, even though businesses were open. How can that be? Here's the big lesson. The virus is what destroys your economy. People being sick, people being afraid, people being in hospitals, people not going out and shopping. That's what destroys your economy, not just the shutdowns. The shutdowns help stop the virus. And Sweden proved that to us clearly. Here's a little factoid. In Sweden, the elderly population, not the ones in elder care facilities, but the people over 55, the, even though they were entirely allowed to go out and shop like everyone else in Sweden was, their consumption went down faster than anyone else's. Why? Because they were afraid of the virus. They reasonably decided not to go out and shop. The economy in Sweden has dropped just as much as everyone else's, and they've taken 10 times the death per capita of their neighboring states. Total failure. Um, quickly on reading other issues and, and making up our own minds, you, you nailed it, Tom, right? Like we've talked a lot about this. It's something that one of the greatest lessons I ever learned was we don't learn lessons. We don't make up our own minds. Um, you, we, we follow the leader. It's 80% it's of our brain wiring comes from herd animals. We follow the leader. So you have to read your own stuff. You have, but you have to look at it with a critical mind. And you have to know that people are great dissemblers and there's a lot of great false information out there. Um, and, and so anti-vax, all of a sudden it gets extremely complicated, like deeply, deeply complicated, like maybe need a master's to understand some of the science or have done this for decades to really, or many years to really understand a lot of what you're reading. If you don't have that, you can easily be fooled or you can easily get it wrong. So eventually for very complex topics, there's a simple rule of thumb that I think we have to follow, which is. Find a group of trusted experts who are degreed, credentialed, uh, are the ones that we pay to trust, we pay to warn, we pay to listen to, and listen to them. So there's things in your life where you have to just give some of the knowledge over to others. Not everything, not much. And you should do as much reading as you can. And as soon as you get there, 
you know, take back, take back the reins of the leadership of yourself, but don't be afraid to trust, you know, every person at CDC, public health service and across the world when it comes to vaccines versus a very small number of splinter activists um, who, who's, who rely on papers that were all discredited. Uh, but it, it's a bit of a complexity. So I'm saying on one hand, well, for very complex things, you got to lead yourself. Um, but you've also got to understand there's certain groups of experts that are just worth trusting until you get up to that level of expertise to make your own decision. And then finally, Connecticut, Ned Lamont's the governor, period. He nailed it. He's a friend of mine, so I, I'm biased, but he did a great job. And um, he inter- instituted mask wearing early. That's one of the reasons Connecticut got it right. He got a lot of great testing. He got a lot of great help from Yale. He took decisive leadership actions inside his leadership team. He fired a top official he didn't think was the right person, brought another person in. He took it super seriously. And you know, that's what we hope from our leaders. And he did it. He did it right. He also believes he had a week to learn from New York and New York had two weeks to learn from Italy. So he took that time to learn and to make the right decisions. I don't think he had a week ahead of New York. He thinks that I think we got hit right about the same time or commuter commuter county, at least in Fairfield. But he took it seriously. And now remember, if New York had two weeks before Italy and then we had a week after New York, you know, just a reminder that America had about a month before China, after China. So we all, America had a lot of warnings out of other states, other countries. Uh, Ned was smart enough to figure out how to make that work for us. And let's hope we see a lot of adherence to mask wearing and social distancing so that we um, we keep the numbers down. But it's awesome no one died yesterday in Connecticut from the disease. Yeah. So RP, I know we both have limited time today. I, I want to talk a little bit about vaccines. Um, I sent you this email last night. I don't know if you got a chance to see it, but essentially there's an outline here. Um, and this comes from Morgan Stanley Research. And they talk about Moderna, Pfizer, AstraZeneca. They'll all start phase three trials before the end of the summer. And it says here that, which is very interesting, pre-election data is possible but the base case is that by mid-November, there will be available data. Um, and then it says earlier data increases our economist convictions that this will be a, a V-shaped recovery, which is interesting. Um, and then finally, it says we see limited um, uh, Election impact, I find that hard to believe. I find it hard to believe that if information is on the horizon, good information, is on the horizon as you lead into the election around a vaccine that it would stay out of the picture. It doesn't, that doesn't make sense to me. Um, anyway, now I'm reading this as if it's news and it may not be news at all, but just curious uh, how you react to it. So, so Leah, let's focus on the vaccine and the election. Um, let's start with, again, there's 126 groups trying to find vaccines. We're getting down to about seven and eight that are making real success having real success first little footnote we should talk about more at one point we don't want to rush into production a vaccine that's not as effective as possible um, this is a big point 66 percent six one third of americans say they won't use a corona vaccine one third according to a cnn poll we don't get to herd immunity until 70 percent of the population is seropositive Point three, seropositivity doesn't confer immunity, meaning 
having the vac- having been exposed to the disease doesn't make you immune probably for more than a year and a half. We don't know the science on that yet, but that's possible. Let me say it again. If you've been exposed and you've recovered, it's more complicated than this, but it's quite possible that your conferred immunity, it's called conferred immunity from being sick and now being recovered, will not last two years. Maybe won't last a year and a half. It's also possible that the, the degree to which you were sick has some impact on the degree to how long you will be immune because you will have created more antibodies. There's a lot more science involved there. Yes, there's a T-cell regulated response possible as well. Um, so quickly in the math, if a third of the country won't take the, take the medicine, take a vaccine if we get one, if the vaccine's a, it's called 100% effective, which it won't be, but let's just say it is, you're at 66%, and then you have how many people already zero positive? Maybe it's five across the country, maybe 10. We maybe get to that 70% number where we have herd immunity, which means it's basically safe to go outside. If we have 100% vaccine, 100% effective vaccine, if we have anything below 90% effective vaccine, you see how the math works, right? Um, so what, I, what you have to add up is the percentage of people who have the vaccine, how effective the vaccine is, the percentage of people who also are seropositive, who have been exposed and now have conferred immunity, does that equal 70%? Right now, probably not. It's a big issue unless we have a almost perfectly effective vaccine. So we'll talk about that later. Elections and vaccine. I think we can look at the way the president handled hydroxychloroquine as to understand how he's going to think about vaccines in the election. He um, got way ahead of the science touting a medicine, thinking, and, and, and by the way, touting it well beyond even what every scientist said. Even the optimistic scientist said hydroxychloroquine can help in certain stages of the disease. He came out and said, we found a, basically a cure-all. Uh, not only was he wrong, the optimistic scientists were wrong. Hydroxychloroquine basically does not help. But we saw for one of the first times ever, maybe the first time ever, a president standing at the, at the press room in the White House in the West Wing screaming and yelling about a medicine. And he was wrong. And people may have died from that, unfortunately, believing it was right. It certainly created a huge problem around the world in, in the production of hydroxychloroquine. People who needed it for other things like lupus couldn't get it. How will he act with a vaccine? Right now in all polling, he's losing. Uh, a vaccine would be transformative. The reason that Morgan Stanley, whoever you're reading, believes there's a V-shaped recovery is because we'll have a vaccine. Until we have a vaccine, we're going to continue to have the problems that we've had. As I said in the beginning, the virus is what shuts down the economy, not the shutdowns. So until we have a vaccine, the virus will keep crushing us and slowing us down. Um, look, I think I would bet you anything the president will be touting vaccine successes very early as soon as he has anything to tout them on. And I would just remind you the two bodies right now that have data on vaccine production are one, the for-profit companies that are making them who obviously are eager by all sorts of reasons, good and not many bad, to, to ensure theirs is the best and they want everyone to know it's the best. Their stocks will go up. Their CEOs will get richer if they're right. So they are interested in getting the best news out there they can as fast as they can and maybe not as carefully as they should. And a president who very, very badly wants a vaccine. So those two bodies, the government, the rest of the government is not commenting on vaccines, um, are both highly biased towards a positive outcome. And the president, you know, we've talked a lot at Ergo about an October surprise. 
meaning he comes out and says, my God, we have a vaccine and people believe it if we don't. So let's let's hope we do. My God, it'd be the best thing in the world if we had a vaccine tomorrow or October. I, don't, I can't say if we will or we won't. I hope we do. Um, but I can say with high certainty, the president will hype whatever we have. Um, and we have to just ensure that whatever we put into production, based on the math I just mentioned, is a highly effective vaccine. Because once we put one into production, you can't go put another into production. So the machinery available to mass produce billions of doses of vaccine, or in America's instance, 300 million, um, can't be used twice. You can't parallel process. You pick one vaccine, you get behind one winner, you make that one. If it's not effective enough, if the president says, I don't care if it's only 70% effective, let's get it out there because I think I'll win, um, then we'll be making a dire error uh, by allocating those precious production resources to something that we probably should have waited longer for something else. And that's, a, by the way, a super hard call to make. Uh, will it have an impact on the election? I suspect that Morgan Stanley is looking at the Electoral College numbers. But look, it looks really bad for Trump right now. There's a lot of water to go under a lot of bridges between now and the election. He's going to try every trick he can to win, as every candidate would. But so long as he does it legally and ethically, then that's his right. So I wouldn't count him out yet, but a vaccine would certainly help. What's your view on leaving the WHO? Just I foolish, mean, I foolish, foolish, foolish. I mean, foolish. No, it's just politicking. Like, it's a critical organization. It doesn't really work well without us in it. They made some mistakes. They actually weren't as profound as our own mistakes at our own CDC level, or certainly at our own executive level, or the, level, the mistake we made in a lot of governor's offices. Um, it's dumb, you know, and, and it'll just hurt us. It's not like it costs us real money. Um, it's an organization that, and by the way, look, we're the leader of these organizations, all these multilateral organizations. We pay a quarter of the bills, basically, and we get what we want. So if that organization doesn't work, it's probably largely our fault for neglecting it, not getting in there, not beating it up. There's a lot of work America's done, a lot of diplomats spent a lot of time working with multilateral organizations, getting them to get rid of waste, fraud, and abuse, and getting them to respond as best we can to what America wants, maybe not what Russia or China wants or Iran. There's a lot of fighting amongst those other countries for how these organizations will behave. And if, well, certainly if you're not a member, you have no influence. But if you don't show up, if you don't put good diplomats there, if you don't take it all seriously, you don't have influence either. But it's it's like quitting your own private, you know, club, right? Like we are the boss of these things largely. Um, and we need to be in there and reforming them. And the WHO is a necessary and important organization for global health. Um, it's saved millions and millions of lives. And we have to be responsible to Americans and the rest of the world to ensure that organization's properly designed, properly managed and doing what it's supposed to do. If it isn't, we got to get in there and fix it, not quit it. So, RP, we're going on the road. Yeah, I'm, I'm so excited for you. you. Yeah, so here's the most recent poster. It's, yeah, um, I love it. It's, uh, so I leave a week from Friday. I mean, this is coming soon. Now, the first event is in Minneapolis. You see there on the 22nd of July. The last one is the night of August 2nd down in New Orleans. Um, you know, as we've been building this, um, you know, I'm part of the recruiting group that we recruit the people to come. And basically we're having conversations in all these towns. And really the story has already begun because you, you start getting feedback right away on many things. You know, by and large, by the way, the conversations are great. You know, we're talking to people who are 
college professors or, you know, hardware store owners to head of the NAACP from Dubuque, Iowa. I mean, like all these interesting and different people. Um, and as I say, the story begins now because the questions they ask, the concerns they bring, their willingness to participate is very high, by the way. So we'll, we'll do these conversations in every place. Normally we put on a show. In this case, it's not a show. It's, it is literally a conversation. <clears throat> but as you might guess, what often comes up is COVID. Um, I've been doing, I, I do a regular set of meetings, actually daily. I do a meetings with a, a group of about 25 people that we do them outdoors. Um, I have another, I'm, I'm part of a gym where I work out outdoors. Um, I have a lot of confidence in our ability to stay safe as a team. And I have a lot of ability, uh, excuse me, I have a lot of confidence in our ability to create a safe environment when people come on this trip. I, to me, the, the most risky part of this trip for my team, most of us are driving out and back. So we go from here, northern tip of the of Mississippi, down to the south tip of the Mississippi and back. I think of the airplanes. A couple people would rather fly and we, we, we made it their option. Does that make sense? Yep, that makes sense to me. You know, we're if you look in this backdrop, I'm in Montana right now. You might recall we put three boys in a suburban, Kelly and I, and drove Connecticut to Idaho, stopped and saw friends safely on the way. Now we were going to fly back and have someone drive the truck back, the suburban. We decided that we didn't think that would be safe, partly because we have a six-year-old, hard to contain him, um, partly because we couldn't get blocks of seats, Um and partly because just the anxiety of n not knowing how exposed we were would be with us for 14 days. And we are going to go see other people and what we'll be doing that period of time. So I can have higher confidence of my exposure not being on an airplane. Um, now, the airlines will tell you that they have well-filtered air, this and that. But you're in a closed, confined place space next to a bunch of other people. So it's actually a higher risk endeavor than what we're doing. Your car rides will be high risk so long as those cars don't have contaminated people in them. Your meetings outside will not be high risk. They'll still be of risk. So, no, I think I wouldn't do an airplane. It's certainly easier. It's a 36-hour car ride I've signed up for. Put the first leg in yesterday. My back is all, my arms, I'm all kinked up. Um, would have been easier to sit in an airplane. But I think the the stress, let alone the potential of contracting the disease. I don't want to do it. And by the way, we're going to have a great time. So there's a pond back here. Can we can get the boys out there fishing on it. Oh, can I you tell you the, um, I've been using an analogy and I've got to go in a minute. Um, it's a little dirty, but flatulence, gas, having gas. That's a good point. If you have gas, well, I feel like if you have gas at an outdoor gathering, maybe one person will catch wind of it. Maybe two. Depends on how close you are to each other. If you're in a car, the whole car, if the windows aren't down, they're going to they're gonna feel oh, the impact. i got three little boys. I know it. <laughs> <laughs> Same with a conference room. Like, And I actually, the more I've thought about it, it's like, this is as good an analogy yeah, as, good. as I've heard. Think about it, because I don't want I don't want to start selling it as like if you're trying to be safe with no, COVID, you could even add your super test. spreader analogy to there for the people who have the really horrible ones or the super spreaders. <laughs> right. You get hooks in them. Right. right. They stick with you. Right. So uh, if, if that if, if if that chorus had been outside. Remember all the people. Oh, the yeah. Chorus got I sick? think very like, likely that would, chorus would have had much less far effect. better results. Right. 
Well, and then and then you throw in the mask factor. Now, a mask, I don't know how a mask does against flatulence, but if you think about being outside with a mask and just imagining just your own sort of unscientific understanding of the way air moves and molecules move, it's a relatively safe bet to say, think of it like a passing gas. Yep. I don't think that's such a bet. Right. You know? I think the only difference is it's a gas, not a molecule, but 100% you're right. Yep. That's that's a good one. So I'll, every time we <laughs> smell a little boy fart in the car, we'll think of you now. <laughs> All right, RP, I got to go. I'm sorry. I've got, right. I've no, got a hard time here. I love but we'll, we'll be in touch again this week. Great to catch up. Thank you.